Look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More than money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How you doing, buddy? Faisal, I'm great. How about you? Uh, really good. We good. had a very interesting week. We were traveling to Toronto. Yep. Did some due diligence and research out there. We talked to many individuals. Different feeling between the two cities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There ha- and there has been for a while. Yeah. Right. Um, for sure. So it's interesting to see how that bleeds into people's overall thought process and decision making and how it influences the way we see the world, yep. right? The filter. Yep. There's definitely some differences for sure. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. I want to talk I want to label this show today on people's feelings. Hmm. Everything's about people's feelings. When you see that your house price has gone up as a, as if you were a a living in Toronto, you feel better. You're not richer in in cash, but you feel better. So the your chest sticks out when you walk down Bay Street in Toronto. My house is worth now over $1.2 million on average. You know, it's up. Calgary, mm, not as up as much. Well, at least it's moving in the right direction. Moving in the right direction. <laughs> the feelings are different. So let's talk right. about feelings today in this. In this but in, wait a second. What about for all the engineers in Calgary that are watching this show? Oh, don't label all them. Engineers have feelings too. Ah, they do, don't they? Sometimes they, do. they deny it, but they do. Yeah. And listen, we know, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today, is that often our logic is used to justify emotional decisions that we make. Correct. And it's important that we understand that, yeah. right? That, that emotion does play a significant part in the way we make decisions. Not just, obviously, in investments, but beyond that, we want to talk a little bit about um, how does that work, right? So that you're aware of it and you don't fall into catastrophic decision-making, right, based on an emotional reaction versus what the likely outcome is going to be. Yeah, and we're going to talk about how you balance emotional and logical decision-making. In our role as portfolio managers, you know, we are are trained to stick to the facts. Get the data, use the data to make the decision on what we should invest in. Sometimes, even in our world, that emotion kicks in. I think think the emotion kicks in all the time. Right, and so we, we... we kind of feel like, okay, we should be doing something because it feels right. Right. But we kind of have to, you know, shake ourselves up and say, wait a minute, let's go back to the data. Let's go back to the structure. The let's discipline. Let's go back to the discipline. You got it. You know, I, I do that in my in my pr- professional life, but in my personal life, when I'm at a buffet or a McDonald's, it doesn't, it doesn't work <laughs> out so well for me. But like, I know what I'm supposed to do. Right. I have the discipline, I'd say, 60% of the time. Yeah. But those 40% ruins the entire 60%. Yeah. Yeah. This trip in Toronto, I think. Yeah, Dave, I got to work out. You did. Uh, oh yeah, got out of bed. <laughs> Your beer arm. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That quarter pounder and cheese. I was doing my arm curls with was amazing. Like it just, what I feel is not always what's right for me. Yeah, no, I think that's that's really important, right? And it's uh, we're not talking about touchy feely stuff here. We're just talking about understanding how those things work together and are connected. Yeah, they are connected. It's inescapable. How do you harness that power? Uh, for good, not for evil. And, and and this week in the markets, I am smiling not because the way the markets performed, but how the constituents within each of the major indexes have been performing. So I'll give you an example. What we saw Thursday, Friday specifically, was a shift in an increase in technology stocks. Yes. Smaller companies in the U.S. doing better than larger companies, in theory, in, in, in general. 
Um, we saw we saw the work from home or stay at home stocks mm -hmm. do not as well mm -hmm. as the get your butt out of the house stocks. Yeah, that's and a even, new terminology, by the way. Yeah, I think even I'll, I'll catch on to Wall Street. That's technical. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's technical language. Get your butt out of the house stocks. Okay. <laughs> So when you start looking at that, what, what, I, what I appreciate of this market is that at points in time, the market will then say, that company does not deserve that type of price. Okay. And they go back to the old school thought of fundamentals. So I'll give you an example. We've had people call us up that watch or listen to the show and say, what do you think of ABC stock? Mm -hmm. And the question comes in, what are you looking at that from what do I think? Are you looking at my feelings about it or are you looking at the data behind it? Because the data would give you a whole bunch of information, their fundamentals, the management, the company, and so forth. And I, am, um, I look at companies as I want to buy companies without paying for their growth in general. Right? I want to see a nice return. But sometimes you get, you get pulled into a direction of just buying companies because they're going up. Yeah, momentum, right? So... Momentum works until it doesn't. Until it doesn't. And this week, the companies that are not working as they should be, or with expectations, are getting hammered. I smile at that because that actually spills over in the fear to other companies. Mm -hmm. The good ones. The yep. ones that are doing it right. The ones that are cheap comparisons to their peers. Sell those stocks. Make that price go down. I'm going to buy it at a cheaper price. Yep. I like this time. So I'm seeing a shift happen. That sentiment, that feeling of people starting to adjust their, their, their company ownership. Primarily retail. Yeah. It's not institutional. It's doing this. It's primarily retail that are moving those, the money from one company to another purely because of how they feel. Right? Such and such company, a stay-at-home stock is not going to be able to produce what it's supposed to produce. Get rid of that, and you see the stock go down 30, 40, 50 percent in a day. Right. In a day. Right. And big companies. Right. Billion-dollar valuation plus. Yeah. Gone. Wiped out in a day. So what happened yesterday to today? Right. And why, why wasn't that forecasted to some degree? That tells me a lot of individuals who are buying poor, uh, investments on their own don't understand what they're buying. It just feels right to buy. Right. So that's going to so, be it's an interesting market. Now. No, for sure. And, and I think you kick, uh, you know, you touched on fundamentals, and we've been talking about that. Um, this earnings season is bringing some of that to bear, right? Um, if valuations are high and stretched, if you don't have fundamentals to back that up, free cash flow, actual earnings, right? There's some risk in this market, right? And you're free seeing that volatility flow. baked in. Right? That's important. Free cash flow. Yeah. And I, I, I give the example to my my 12-year-old. I say to her, I go, well, you know, when I'm buying a company, and she only listens to half the stuff that I tell her. <laughs> um, Less than half, I can tell you that. On a good day. <laughs> I was talking about a good day, Dave. <laughs> I have daughters, um, too. You can't lie to me about <laughs> right? that. So when I said, when I buy a company, <laughs> if you were to lend money to your friend, yeah. not your very good friend, but a friend in school, how do you know they're going to pay you back? And she goes, well... I have to see what they're making. Do they have enough money? Is there someone's going to give them money so they can give it back to me? And so you're looking at how much free cash flow they have. Mm. And that's when she kind of turned off and stopped listening to me when I said free cash flow. But, but that's the objective, right? It's that free cash flow 
of a company. And you're seeing a lot of energy companies this week yep. talk about their free cash flow. And what they're doing with it. And what they're doing with it. Right. Right? Buybacks, dividends, yep. mergers and acquisitions. Yep. They're not built, they're not putting it to capital expenditure. Right. And some are, you know, some have their green initiatives. Some there's a whole bunch of stuff going on, yeah. right? But the important thing is they've got tons and tons of cash flow. So when it comes to these types of issues, fundamentals, cash flow, a disciplined approach, uh, separating the feeling of the market to what you're buying, yep. it requires some structure and discipline. It requires you to understand that, that piece as you go through retirement. Yep. So it's not just profiting, but it's also protecting. Uh, Faisal, um Emotion and logic are two things that don't necessarily work well together, but it influences our behavior and our decision-making, right? And I'm talking in all aspects of our lives, not just when making financial decisions. Yeah, when you look at, and we'll, we'll start with the financial part, when you look at what's happening in the markets and all this gyration, the jitters kick in, there's an emotional reaction. The election that we just had, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that caused a reaction. This pandemic, there's a right. reaction. You know, there's so many things that go on that, that people have this, this kind of reaction. And, and so how do you kind of work between the, the, the worlds of emotion and logic? And, <laughs> and can and, you, right? And can you? <laughs> can you? Well, we don't know the answer to that question, but we think we know somebody that does. Okay, let's go for All it. All right. We've got Dr. Bryn Weingard back with us uh, again today, and we're happy to have her. She's a business brain expert. Um, Dr. Bryn, we've got, we've got to try to address this idea of the of the logic emotion connection if there is one so let me just start with a <clears throat> maybe a really straightforward question that may not have a straightforward answer if somebody gets themselves into an emotional state can they use or can somebody external to them use logic to help overcome that it's a great question dave and the short answer is no they can't uh what you know <laughs> one of the things that we know to be true and i know you and we've talked about before is the fact that the subconscious brain we think is about 99 percent of processing altogether and in that subconscious are the emotional centers of the brain now that one percent that that i'm not talking about is where we think most logical rational thought happens. And if you're a fan of, as an example, economist David Kahneman, what you would find out is that, you know, there is a system one and a system two that he talks about. He says basically system two is what I'm going to call the conscious part, the 1% of processing. System one is that subconscious stuff that is highly schematic. It's highly rote. It's very error prone, but it's also where emotion lies. And so what I sometimes joke on stage, or I'll tell you now, is that in the David and Goliath fight between the conscious and the non-conscious, Goliath wins every time. And so what we see is that, in fact, the subconscious will override what we think are conscious, rational, logical centers of the brain always. And one of the things that I often ask people to do as an exercise to understand how this really works You've often changed your mind before. So if you show up to the ice cream parlor and they have chocolate and ice cream and you show up thinking, yeah, I'm definitely going in for chocolate, but then you see how good the, the vanilla looks, you may well order that vanilla. You changed your mind before. However, if I show up to you in the midst of an emotional you know, overthrow and you're, you're frustrated, you're irritated, you're angry, you're feeling hostile, and I said, okay now, but just, just, just change that, will you? Just stop feeling what you're feeling. There's no way to do that. And so, you know, you know what you're feeling. You're not going to change it. In fact, you're more likely to want to hit me than you are to change how you're feeling, irritated, <laughs> hostile, whatever. 
And so what we know is that a lot of that conscious, logical, rational stuff is happening in, yeah, a few neurons that are easy to sort of toggle how they work. The emotional stuff is a lot more visceral. And so by that, I literally mean physiological as well. So it involves the whole body and its neuromolecular processes. And so when we look at that, you know, you can change your mind pretty easily. Very hard to change how you feel. So, uh oh. So, uh oh. So, you know, what, what's one thing that an individual do, can do to kind of identify that they're having a visceral reaction? Not a, well, this is just logical. So I'll give you an example. Dave walks in that ice cream shop. He wants that chocolate ice cream. But he's in an angry mood walking into that, 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 uh, that store. And he knows he's having chocolate. And someone says vanilla. And how does he know that he's having a visceral reaction as he's walking into the store before the reaction actually happens? Well, yeah. I mean, one of the ways is that you physically feel it. So you will feel it physically through your whole self. It won't just be something that is cerebral that, you know, you can cognitively, objectively mull over. And the second is that you will feel probably fairly physically uncomfortable. And so one of the things that I often say is that emotions are functional in the sense that they are designed to make you feel uncomfortable enough to act in your own self-interest. And so what that is, is really a, a, a biological imperative to feel so uncomfortable, you'll do something about it for yourself. And so you will know you're in an emotional state if you physically feel uncomfortable, whereas logical information doesn't typically engage to the point where in rational thought, as an example, doesn't typically engage you so physically that you feel uncomfortable. You're not uncomfortable yet. You're still just mauling over facts. So we know that it hasn't reached emotional centers. You're not feeling viscerally, physiologically, you know, it's not got there yet if you're not feeling physically, physically uncomfortable. At the beginning of this, uh, this segment, we were talking about some external issues that have come up, the pandemic, an election, mm -hmm. markets falling back and forth. Um, we, there are people that react to these things where they don't have control over it. Um, you know, normally walking into a, an ice cream shop and you know you're in a bad mood or something's happened to you, you know why you're having a reaction. But there are times where things happen in your life that you don't know why you're having this reaction. How do you, how do you kind of get your head around the fact that, you know, I'm having a reaction to something that maybe not be the thing that I'm having a reaction to? So I'll, I'll give an example. In the recent federal election, we had people come up to us and have the most weirdest conversations with us about what could happen in this world because of this election, and it didn't make any logical sense. I am confused when they talk to me about this stuff, but they actually have this visceral reaction. So how do you, how do you determine that the topic that you're having about is the reason for the reaction versus something else? Uh, it's, that's challenging. And we do see, to your point, a lot of bleed in terms of where we think there are false causal relationships or false causal understandings about where this emotion resonated from or, or originated from. Uh, to your point, you know, when we see that start to happening, that's that, you know, is basically a, an example of polarized thinking, of catastrophic thinking. That's definitely a person who's thoroughly engaged in their emotional centers. And those false causal relationships or those, you know, what we would sort of think heuristically, that seems like two things are connected that are not connected. That is typically those errors we start to see go up when someone is particularly you know, stressed or under duress. And so the brain under duress or under VUCA circumstances, volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous circumstances, starts to do and associate things 
differentially and frankly, fairly unpredictably. We don't know exactly where those thought patterns will go. But what it is, is that discomfort, that emotion, it's energy. And that energy has to go somewhere. And so humans are wonderful at trying to rationalize why they're feeling what they're feeling. And they'll look for anything in their environment and try to marry it or map it on to try to understand why do I feel so uncomfortable. I think, Dr. Brennan, we're going to explore in the next segment a little bit about some things uh, that people might be able to do, right? So I can certainly think in my own life where things have come up and I've gone to the really dark place, right? You go to that extreme thinking and, you know, almost never does the extreme happen. So are there, you know, are there things that that people can do either internally uh, or perhaps guys like you and me? Like if we're dealing with somebody in an emotional state that, um, you know, financial or whatever, there's some trigger there. Is there something that we can do to help support that emotional state to get them back to a place of a balance or, Mm -hmm. you know, a a peace of mind or whatever the case may be? So the question is, when we get into those situations where we're feeling emotional, as an example, if markets are falling, we often get asked the question or people are calling in panic that my whole retirement is is doomed. It's ruined. Right. So we've gone to that very dark place. How do you get out of that? Right. How do you... How do you uh, manage that? And can people like you and me on an external basis help facilitate a recovery out of that sort of panic mode into something that's, uh, that's calmer? Now, to help us, because you and I don't know the answer to that question, <laughs> we're hoping Dr. Bryn does. Dr. Bryn Weingart, who's a business brain expert, a recurring guest on the show, is uh, uh, graciously agreed to stick around for a second segment. We know a bit about the problem now, Dr. Bryn. But let's see if we can start to address some of the solutions. So maybe you can frame it for us. I'm not sure if I did a very good job there of, you know, out, uh, outlining what you told us in that first segment and where people end up in this sort of immers- emotional turmoil. Um, but give us a sense of uh, how, how do we, how can we get ourselves out of this if we end up in, a, in an emotional place that's not very good, right? That's affecting us negatively. Absolutely. No, I think you did a great job, Dave, in terms of describing the problem, right? In this David and Goliath fight between the subconscious emotional centers and the conscious logical, you know, tiny little centers that of the brain that are able to take in objective fact and make decisions, Goliath wins every time. There's a part of the brain that's going to overtake all decision making. You will end up in catastrophic thinking. You will end up very highly polarized and it will feel uncomfortable. You'll be emotional about it. You know, when we look at the human brain's imperatives, one of the things we see is that it's it's fundamentally designed to amass capital. And historically, that meant social capital. But anymore, that also means financial capital. And we understand that financial capital is also time, right? Time and money are the two things. And so we start to see that, you know, people will have real emotional, visceral responses to anything they think threatens either their time or money. And money is a lot more tangible of those two things. And so then what we see is that, you know, let's pretend you're dealing with somebody who's in the throes of catastrophic thinking, you know, panic levels. Really, the first thing to do is to normalize it so that they don't feel as though you are, especially as an advisor, as an example, you are completely removed from it as if you have no idea where they're coming from. So if what you can do is sort of use language to describe the fact that you do understand where they're coming from. That doesn't just allow for empathy and the activation of what we, you know, the mere neuron system was just exactly as it sounds. It's the center that then allows them to gain liking and trust with you. But that also allows them then to normalize how they're feeling. So it sets a base level, whereas we say, you know, that person then doesn't feel so out of control. When they are able to do that, 
then we can, after we've set that baseline of normalization, we can socialize the idea. And so one of the things I talk about a lot is this idea that, you know, you should be activating the, show, the social parts of the brain. But that allows through the mirror neuron systems that you're also, you're also then seeing other perspectives. And so if you deal with people you like and potentially trust, they will give you different perspectives. So hopefully you like and trust your advisor. And it is the job of the advisor to be liked and trusted. And so what you're doing then is saying, listen, here is another perspective. Here's another way of looking at that. The way to approach it is almost never with data, facts, logic, right? Those aren't going to work because the Goliath is winning. The emotional centers have overridden everything else in, in that human brain. And so then the way that we do that is through very human means. So we describe it in social language and social appeals using very, you know, earnest, honest kind of just being a human in the environment sort of an approach that will then help them see different perspectives and activate parts of their brain that are the only parts of the brain that can override emotional emotional reactions, things like the mirror neuron system. So that that's the part of the brain that we really want to create uh, you know, a connection with. And the only way to do that is in person. And so one of the best ways too is to deal, you often hear that someone will call you in a panic and then you try to troubleshoot that over the phone. And the best thing to do is give yourself time and opportunity to actually see that person physically. And so, you know, the mirror neuron system, the only thing really that can overpower a, an emotional reaction is really most active. It really only works human to human in person. We say meeting face to face is, is seeing eye to eye, is the meeting of the minds, right? And so that's one way, certainly, as an advisor, that you can help somebody through what is a panic state. So that, that was great in regards to helping us help our clients or help people. How does someone do it for themselves? How does someone actually go through this where they're having a, a visceral reaction? How do they actually, uh, I'm going to use the words, calm themselves down, sure. bring yeah. them back to a more centered focus on, on what, what's important in their lives? I think there's a lot of people who have reactions, but don't reach out and talk to anybody about it. Right. So how would, how would we know as advisors or uh, people in the public know about this stuff? I think it's where, where you're having these kind of reactions on yourself. How do you actually calm yourself down or how do you get that, those? What are the next steps to do that? Yeah, it's such a great question. Uh, you know, the first, I think, is forewarned is forearmed. It's the idea that, okay, I'm physically uncomfortable. I'm having definitely having an emotion here. And my emotions are not bad. I don't need to push them down, bottle them up. They are functional. They're designed to help me act in my own self-interest. But my own self-interest in this moment is maybe not best informed by a panic state. And so what we often say is to get uncomfortable or comfortable rather with the uncomfortable. Sit with negative emotions for a while. In fact, most emotions are negative, unfortunately. Sit with them for a while so that you can get some perspective, so you can get a handle on them. If emotions are controlling you, they are likely not acting in your own best interest. However, they are informative. They inform us about what we think at the subconscious levels, at the part of the brain that is making decisions. It informs us what it is that is important to us that will be in our own self-interest. Now, sitting with the discomfort for a while will also allow you time and space from those emotions, which allows you to do something we call the objectification of emotions. Objectifying emotions are really important and really helpful because what it allows is that you, it's almost as if, and the way I sometimes envision this myself, is it's almost as if you're taking that discomfort of that uncomfortable thing, you're naming it something, and you're able then to pull it out of yourself and look at it more objectively. Now that can happen through a series of medium and mechanisms. And one of my favorite isn't just sitting there ruminating on your own, but it's to talk about it. And so, you know, no different than the talk therapies that are 100 years old, but the idea that you would activate your social brain, talk to somebody who's not necessarily even 
with a vested interest, maybe not your financial advisor, but somebody who you trust, who you know, who's going to help you give an, another perspective, but is also going to activate 80% of all, all neural networks, which are the social networks. And so that will help you feel less uncomfortable, feel more, more comfortable, name the emotions, and figure out what your next steps are in terms of how to actually conceptualize this which then allows you to organize your thinking enough to ask the right questions of your advisor, right? You often have heard the adage that you're, you know, the quality of your life is directly proportional to the quality of the questions you ask. If you approach your advisor as an emotional investor without good questions, without properly arming yourself, then you've done yourself a disservice. And so you want to have that kind of distance and objectivity in order to be able then to approach with the right questions to get a handle on the fact that, yeah, you're threatened and probably legitimately feeling like you feel threatened. It's probably very legitimate. Now we need to ask the questions to help ourselves figure out a long term plan for how we are going to act in our own self-interest functionally. Dr. Bryn, you were mentioned that we should be sitting in this, this emotion for a while to kind of just take a step back. Um, how long is a while? Yeah, it's such a good question. Every person is different. And one of my favorite things, too, is to say there is this mind-body disconnect in the sense that whenever the brain is active is the only time that the typically anyway, the, whenever the body is active, rather, is typically the only time the brain is really able to rest and opposite is when you're sleeping as an example is when your brain really comes awake people don't think that that's counterintuitive so i advocate for two things and it's usually one sleep that's the old adage the old ones are the best right sleep on it so sleep on it because your brain will neuroplastically figure out what it needs to throughout those eight hours that are will are going to help you with that objectivity in real time the best advice i have is to physically move you know yourself, if you're physically feeling uncomfortable, it often helps to move. But I'm going to give you a neural, neural basis for it, which is that the time that the brain actually has to rest and rewire and replenish some of its neurochemistry that's important for emotional regulation is during movement, physical movement. So I often, it doesn't have to be, you know, HIIT, run a marathon, just get up and start moving. And I say that has to be at least 15 minutes. Those 15 minutes will be critical, not only for replenishing the right neurochemistry to help you think clearly, decreasing your emotion, re-regulating sympathetic nervous activity, your physiology, et cetera, but it's also going to allow you just enough time to be able to sort of physically calm down, physiologically calm down enough to be able to think, think on it newly. So at least 15 minutes while moving, please sleep on it, but that's the idea is that you're taking at least one sleep because that's when the magic of the brain happens is during sleep to try to regulate, you know, how it is that you're thinking, what, what those emotions really meant for you. Yeah. So you see, Dave, whenever you talk to me, I get up, I run away <laughs> yeah, I for about that. 15 minutes yeah. and I come back and just, I'm just, <laughs> just calming calm. myself down. Calm down. I, I'm right. going to have a conversation with Popovich. I got to <laughs> calm down. So this is, this is a good, good idea. See? You know, <laughs> listen, if, if the goal is peace of mind, certainly that's what we talk about with that's people, right. right? If the goal of, is peace of mind, then I think Dr. Bryn has given us one of, I think, a really, really good insight as to why we might get out of that peaceful space. Sure. But two, that we can. We actually can control that to some extent. A bit of patience, a bit of discipline, right? A bit of structure in the way we do that. And we can, we can calm ourselves, and you and I can help in that, in that role. That's right. I think that's been a really powerful two segments, uh, Dr. Bryn, and I want to thank you for sharing that um, with us and with our listeners and our viewers, because I think that's absolutely critical. Thank you, thanks for having me. Faisal, it's been known to happen where you invest in something 
and it doesn't quite work out the way you think it's going to work out. Yeah, it happens a lot. And this is what we're going to talk about is, you know, you buy into a portfolio or an investment and things go haywire. Um, we've, got, we've got a very interesting approach to this because let me give you the example. Um, actually, we had, you, had a, you had a client talk to you about this. Well, there's a couple of things. Yeah, let me share. Let's, let's maybe give some framework. Um, um, there's there's two, two scenarios. Client calls, says, I transferred some money on this date, okay? And when I compare it to what I transferred from to this, it, it didn't match expectation for this six-month period of time. So they transferred so it didn't match, money in. It didn't match what the other one did for that six-month so period of time. They sold out of a, another portfolio. They yeah. came, they brought that money over to the portfolio that they invested. Uh, six months later, they're looking at it and they go, I would have been better off if I just stayed put than, than moving it. For that period of time. For that, for that six-month period. For that six-month period of time. Okay. Um, the second thing that I want to throw into this idea, because it comes back to sort of the theme of this show, which is um, uh, emotional decision-making, catastrophic versus strategy and discipline. Okay? The other uh, aspect is getting on the wrong side of a trade. Mm. We've had both some interesting conversations, mm-hmm. um, and it happens all of the time, yep. right? Something doesn't play out, or a piece of the portfolio doesn't perform the way you expect. Yep. Okay? And people will, will call us on it and we'll have a conversation about it, right? And often it's, how are you going to ensure that this doesn't ever happen again? Yeah. What happened here? What, what are you doing about it, right? All good questions, yeah. um, but it's, it's an interesting, it leads to a, a larger, more interesting thought process that I think people should be aware of in, in, when, they're, when they're thinking about it. So yeah. uh, where I want to start this conversation, Fails, was really on, on that second one, okay? Because, listen... Everybody I'm sure that's watching can relate to the fact that I'm, I'm on the wrong side of a trade on something. I invested in something. Yeah, you're not, you're not 100% work out. right in everything that you buy. That's correct. Yeah. If you were, uh, they're, they're living on an island somewhere yeah. in the gazillion. Warren Buffett's only 69%, 70% correct. Right. Now, is that a problem? Yeah. That's the question. Is it, does it indicate a problem? Mm. Okay. So what do people want to know? What should they want to know if there's, a, if there's a decision that's been made, theirs or an advisor's, and it's not working out? the way it's supposed to work out. Number one, let's start with, what was the original thesis for going in? Why did you buy it? Right. Yeah. Why did you make an investment in that? Now, some people could be just emotional. We've talked about that, yep. right? So if you're feel, uh, that, that's a tough one, because yep. if you're feeling differently now, that may or may not be the right timing on it. I bought this investment it, because it was going up and it felt right. Yeah. Or it's a friend of a friend told yeah. me about this, yep. right? And okay, whatever, those decisions. Our Uber driver in Toronto was giving us <clears throat> stock tips. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but let's assume, let's assume for a minute that you've done some due diligence, okay? And we've, we have these problems all the time. We form a, a hypothesis, we invest some money in one aspect of the global marketplace, and it doesn't now work out. Yep. What, what process do we go through to determine whether we should stick with it mm-hmm. or whether we should exit it? Mm. Yeah, and that's, that's the key thing on, on any type of investment that we go through. When you look at all the research that we do, we come up with a thesis and we come up with actually with, with, with three different scenarios. Your base case of what you're expecting to happen, highest probability of success. And we are humble enough to know that we can be wrong in two ways. One, it's worse than we expected, or it's better than we expected. Mm-hmm. Now, let's go down the worst side, because that, that impacts people more. Um, when something doesn't go according to plan, the first thing is, should you keep that investment based upon the plan? Yes. Has, is the plan changing? Right. Yeah, why? And let me give you an example. Let, let's get into some recent situation or changes that have happened. 
we had an exposure into emerging markets. Um, emerging markets of the portfolio and the growth bucket didn't go according to plan in the first seven months. Part of it was because of what's happening economically, uh, which was a change. Uh, part of it, or most of it, was because of the Chinese government. Mm. Something we couldn't have predicted prior to it happening. Okay, so we got it, we got it wrong based on those two issues. So we took our lumps, walked away. Well, first, first of all, we, we made a sell decision because the circumstances, the fundamental circumstances have changed. So that thesis that we had when entering that particular investment is no longer true. It's yeah. no longer valid. Yeah. And so then we made some changes, adjusted to be investing in the emerging markets without investing in the emerging markets. Because we still like that area. And so that adjustment, you take a loss and you go, okay, why? What happened? And will you ever do that again? That's the interesting question. So I had a conversation with a doctor about that, that one particular piece. So we explained what happened. We explained where it went wrong. And the question came back to me is, will you ever do that again? Yeah. And, and it's, it's, this is an emotional, this is a feelings conversation. Right. It doesn't feel right when you, when you make a mistake or when you got something wrong or it didn't go according to plan. Yep. Okay. So I have to then speak to this individual in their terminology, in, in their world. So I asked the doctor, I said, Doc, did you, have you ever made a prescription for a patient that didn't go according to plan? Yeah. What did you do? Oh, we just changed the prescription, either the dosage or a different brand and so forth. Oh, so you just made an adjustment. Have you ever made that, that mistake again? Have you ever made a prescription or made a recommendation for a drug that didn't work out on the next patient? Yeah. So what's the difference? Your methodology of why you prescribed what you did stayed the same, did it not? Well, yeah, you, it, it's a little bit different. Remember when you said, because uh, I was part of, part of this debrief with you, right? And yeah. you said, hey, um, okay, yes. Did you ever make that mistake again, is how you phrased it, because that's, right. that's how he phrased it to you. And his reaction was very interesting. He said, wasn't a mistake. Yeah. What do you mean it wasn't a mistake? Well, he said, you tell the story. Yeah, based on the symptoms, based on the diagnosis, right. based on every th all the facts that I had, I made that, that uh, prescription. But it didn't work out, Doc. Yeah, but that's why we adjust. <clears throat> Like, well, that's exactly what we do in the portfolio. Right. Now, provided that your process to diagnose somebody is, is bang on, like you, it's, it works, then that should be the methodology you'll stick to. Now, things will fall out and they may not work and so forth. Now, you're dealing with a human life. I'm dealing with portfolios. But the process is still the same. Right. Well, let's extend it because I had a similar conversation, but it was a contractor slash project manager. Okay. Okay, so similar kind of a conversation about what, what happened, right? There's some underperformance here. We talk about this particular trade and, okay. And I said, how do you feel about that? And he said, well, I'm concerned. What are you concerned about? Well, that it might, you know, it might happen again. Or I can't remember his exact words, but it's yeah. essentially the same yeah. thing. Okay. And I said, well, it will happen again. It's not if it's going to. Let's just address that right now. It will. And then we talked about, so I, I built a home fairly recently, as you know, within the past four or five years. Um, that's the first time I built a home. Yeah. So not with this person, but I knew a little bit about the home building process. So I said, tell me about when you're building, you're managing this project. Does everything go to plan? I've got architectural drawings. Bang. We're just going to put this thing up, right? 
Well, no, sometimes things change. Like what? Well, sometimes we can't get the material on time or the labor on time. Or the architectural drawing, really, when we see it in real life, doesn't make sense and we have to make changes. Yeah. One time? No, it happens all the time. Okay, so now we're talking about process. Because I can tell you when I built my home, as you know, there was tons of things that ended up differently and changed. Yeah. Okay? But we had a process. I was so happy with, with our contractor. I'm not happy when we have to make changes. But the fact is, you had a process that, okay, here's the problem. Here's why. This is what we should do about it. Yeah. And you know what? I have a beautiful home. I have yeah. a home that Maddie and I built that we love living in. Is it exactly what we started out with? No. Was the process straight and linear? No. Right? So it was the same conversation. I found, I found that conversation with the doctor very interesting in that it doesn't, I think it doesn't matter what job you're in. Yeah. There's always problems. And so if people understand getting from point A to B isn't a straight line, but it's the process, structure, and discipline Bingo. that are Bingo. important. And that's the homework for every viewer and listener of this segment. Right. Is when you sit down with your advisor or your portfolio manager, understand their process, yep. their buy strategy, their sell strategy. You can even ask them what their success rate is, how many times are they right versus wrong, all that. Get that information. And if you've been with somebody for years, it doesn't matter. Ask them again. Right. Let them remind you. Right. That's good due diligence on the people who you're working with. We're running out of time, but quickly to tie to this last piece, you maybe just have time for one comment. Um, it's this timeline, okay? So now we know that there's differences. Things can go right and wrong through different periods of time. Buyer's remorse. Buyer's remorse, right? So this period of time that I'm measuring, it didn't work out. I should have done this, should have done that, right? The buyer's remorse question. Yeah. How do you answer that? Short term, six pe some, sometimes people think, think six months is a long period of time. Not, not in our world. Yeah. Six months is not, not long. Not your retirement. Your retirement is in six months. That's right. That's right. So when there's a buyer's remorse moment, yeah. what do you do? Yeah, so this is where it comes down to the, the key piece of understanding what the overall objectives are. Right. Is everything labeled in that time frame? And is everything that we've, that we've done from the beginning to now been according to plan? Are we within the range of the plan? Yes. So why would this be any different because the six months didn't work out? Right. I understand people want to make more money. I've had buyer remorse on a whole bunch of things. Sure. Um, but at the end of the day, we have to make sure that we understand the process that gets you to that decision. Right. If the process is solid, the solutions and the output will be solid as well. Uh, and I think that's exactly it. We'll just leave it at that particular point because there's any six-month period that you can pick in any different strategy that you'll show different results. This yeah. was better than this at this period of time. This was better than this at this period of time. Yeah. So it's got to come down to something that is measurable, quantifiable over time. And that's where we're going to talk about our discipline on investments, the five pillars, investment strategy, the approach that works with you for your retirement. We're going to talk about that on Tuesday, November 16th, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. Thanks for tuning in, to an, tuning in to another edition of More Than Money. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. We look forward to speaking with you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. 
David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.